stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. In 1881, London's Thames River played host to one of Canada's biggest maritime disasters. This happened in the 1800s, but despite that, the news of the incident spread around the world very quickly. It appeared in the New York Times and in media outlets as far away as Australia. It became what is known as the Victoria Steamboat Disaster, and it caused the deaths of 172 people. This is back when London only had a population of around 20,000 people. Everyone in the city was impacted in some way. With the tragedy this large, it begged the question, how did this happen, and who, if anyone, was to blame? On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we talk to Dan Brock, a London historian and author of the 2011 book, Fragments from the Forks, detailing the disaster. Here's the host of this week's episode, Haley Chang. May 22nd, 1881 was like so many other spring days in London. The weather was fair and many people were out of their homes enjoying the day. And for some, that meant heading down to Springbank Park along the Thames River. Little did those people know, they were about to become witnesses to tragedy. So what happens is it's getting late in the uh, afternoon uh, and people are, are waiting. There's literally thousands of people at, at um, Springbank Park. They're waiting to return back to London. What happened, however, at the Forks of the Thames is that one of the boats got um, stuck on a um, sandbar. And the other boats, the other two came to its rescue. Uh, and this delayed them for about a half hour or so. And uh, finally, the captain of the vessel, the Victoria, uh, said, I can't wait any longer. I, we we got to go. And he let the other vessel uh, try and get, and get the other one off the, the sandbar. Meanwhile, the people in uh, at the um, Springback are, are getting very concerned and anxious to get there and they're all crowding around and so on. So here comes this vessel finally, probably about an hour and a half or so later than one should have turned up, certainly an hour later. And um, there was a a mad rush to get on this vessel. Uh, A matter of fact, young guys and so on were just um, jumping over the rails, not even paying. The captain was worried. He wanted people to get off the, the vessel I mean, there, there was such a crowd and a rush that some of them had, who had taken the vessel down were unable to get off and so remained on. So finally, the captain leaves the dock at Springbank. The Victoria was built to hold about 400 people. But because of the amount of people waiting to be picked up, the boat ended up carrying around 600 people instead. People were impatient, wanting to get home. But the capacity limit was there for a reason, and the overcrowding on the boat would have disastrous consequences. The boat is very low in the water because you have about three times as many people on it as really you should. And it starts uh, going upstream to the forks of the Thames. Well, as it goes, it scrapes over uh, an old um, dam and more water is coming into. You always have water in the bottom of these vessels because of seeping through the cracks and so on. So more water is coming in. Um, and um, the captain realizes finally, he doesn't stop at the regular stops because he just doesn't have room for anybody else. He's got too many people on it as well. Um, so as he's going along, he finally realizes he's never, he's not going to make it. So he aims at going and hitting a sandbar and, and, and landing on it. Beaching the boat could have helped. However, they never made it there. Meanwhile, young boys, teenagers, 
being teenagers, they thought this was hilarious that there's water on the bottom of a vessel. So you got, a two, you got two decks. So the water would be about halfway up our knees. And so they took to rocking the boat. And of course, that makes the girls all scream and holler. And that's just what they wanted. So the boat is rocking back and forth from side to side. And um, meanwhile, on the top deck, somebody yells out, there's a race. There were two racing skulls. And uh, they, were, they were going upstream as well. And so everybody, most of the people, anyway, go over to the right-hand side uh, to see these racing skulls. Well, what this does with the rocking of the boat is make it precariously too far to the right. And so they compensate by going over to the left. Well, they rushed over too quickly, overcompensated. The boat went over on its side. And this is when things really started to go wrong, as the boat started to fall apart piece by piece. Meanwhile, the huge um, boiler was not anchored. It had what were called drift boats. So these boats held it in place, but they're not, they're, uh, there's no nuts on them holding, holding them in place. So when the boat went over on its side like that, this uh, boiler, so steaming and everything else, broke loose, took out the stanchions supporting up, supporting the top deck, of course, scalding people uh, between it and the edge of it and the supports and just start all crushing. So the other supports are just dropping as if they were toothpicks. And so you got the top deck crushing on the bottom deck. And of course, people being trapped, seriously injured or killed outright, apart from all the ones that drowned. And so basically, this is what you have. The boat ends up on its side, um, facing towards the, um, the left bank, which would be the side that, that we, we would know as uh, Riverside Drive and so on is on. Okay, so that essentially is what, is what happened. And um, unfortunately, the boat sank or went over on its side, capsized. In one of the deepest spots. On a boat carrying around 600 people, 172 deaths were reported, including a third of the crew. That is a significant amount of deaths. With a tragedy of this magnitude, with this many people dead, the question becomes, how could this have happened and how could it have been avoided? The fact that you you have this, you know, it's a heavy uh, boiler. And so I guess they figured, well, we don't need to anchor it. It's not going to go any place anyway. However, if the boat turns sideways, it's, it's going to come out of these uh, areas. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, if it were anchored in, um, things wouldn't have been quite so bad as far as the entire top uh, deck collapsing. Even the way the Victoria was built was like it was being set up for disaster. It used the hull of a boat that had already sunk, not a great omen for a new boat. The vessel before was the Enterprise. And for some reason or other, um, whether it, it, it was partly destroyed by fire or whatever, it, it sank beneath the sank in the Thames and and was beneath the water all winter before they um, um, resurrected it, so to speak, and then they built and extended it. And this was done a year or so before. And just a year later, the Victoria suffered the same fate. There are a few types of stories that come from a catastrophe of this nature, most of which revolve around the saying, wrong place, wrong time. 
starting with the first rescue team on the scene. In this case, the young boys swimming when the boat overturned. Now remember at this time, boys and men rarely, if ever, wore clothing when they went swimming. So you got uh, two, at least two young fellows uh, in their teens swimming nude at this site. And um, when the boat overturned, they obviously were good swimmers. So they immediately went to help to save as many as they could. Um, and in doing this, you got people clawing at you and grabbing at you and you're fighting them off because they, they're desperate. Many of these people couldn't swim. Think of the women with the yards, literally yards or meters of cloth that they would have on the long dresses, which of course had to go down to at least to the ankles because you didn't dare show your ankles and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, it was a lot of dead weight for these people to try and swim and many of them couldn't swim anyway. So these boys tried to help to save them. Uh, what happened is though, in their attempts going back and forth, they just got overly exhausted. And I suspect what happened is they were pulled under by people that were desperate to, to, to save and they both drowned. The stark bravery these boys displayed had not gone unnoticed, as their story is one that Dan loves to share. When you think about the Thames, you realize that it's not an incredibly deep or wide river. So why weren't there more survivors? Unfortunately, the environment did not make rescue efforts or saving oneself an easy task. There must have been well-worn paths on both sides of the river, and people were using these to walk home. What happens the, the vessel is closer to the north side and people are going to the north side uh, to save themselves or to save others. Now, of course, these banks are clay. And when they're wet, they're extremely slippery. And this is what happens. It was very difficult, even when you reach the bank, to try and get up the bank. This being the case, if you're, you're grasping one another, and that's what they probably would do, it'd be very difficult to save yourself when, it, when you know three or four others are grabbing you as well. I think a lot were trapped beneath uh, on the on the uh, the lower deck when the when the uh, other one um, landed on or collapsed on them because there there, there were accounts of people um, being trapped and managing by one way or another to save themselves. There was an account of a a, a woman like this, and uh, so. You know, this being the case, we know that some people just were not able to save themselves. They were actually trapped and they, 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 they drowned, uh, uh, trapped. There may have been some people that were knocked unconscious right away. I don't know. Um, one of the persons that went on the vessel and uh, because his two sons wanted to go and they went after dinner, he, he went down there with his two sons. But when they got there, they saw this mass of people going on thing that they, they, they couldn't even get off. So they stayed on. And so he drowned. He was severely injured. They must've been on the lower deck then. And he had his arms around his two sons. So all three of them drowned and all three of them are, uh, were buried in um, uh, Woodland Cemetery. So you get this. On the other hand, you get some people saying, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even get wet because they were on the opposite side of it. And when the boat turned over, they held on or whatever it is, and they were able to, to stay dry on the, on the edge of the, of the vessel. So you get many, many stories, um, different stories like this. Even though this took place more than 140 years ago, 
you still can't help but feel sad for the victims and how the situation played out. There were cases where five or six members of the same family um, died. There was a case of a couple. They just got married the night before, and the girl was on there. Now, the story we all know are of the two young lovers. They were engaged, um, uh, Fanny Fanny Cooper and... um, um, can't glass was his first, his first name. I can't think of it right now, but they both drown on it. And so you have the typical Victorian thing where the two, uh, hearse are coming. They, they live maybe two or three blocks away are coming and meeting. And then they, they proceed side by side to the, um, cemetery and are buried in the same plot. And there's a there's a, a monument to both of them. In one case, there were um, members of two or three generations that uh, that drowned. I think Coughlin was the name of that family. Certainly, uh, a couple of the the parents' children died, and uh, two or three of their grandchildren. There is nothing more unsettling than to have to assess the damage done at the end of the day. Rescuing efforts or salvage efforts because the people were drowned continued all night. Um, there are images of people, a bonfire on the north side of the river uh, and people with torches, uh, you know, trying to save people. Uh, one of the vessels, I think it was the Princess Louise, uh, took the bodies uh, from this site uh, to the Forks of the Thames, and these were laid out at the uh, Forks of the Thames, probably in the vicinity of what is now known as the Peace Gardens. And they they, they, they were lined up their sort of things so people could come and identify them and that sort of thing. So they were lined up in sort of an orderly level and on either side of you as you sort of walk down this long area where they would have been. And of course, in an age-old tale when tragedy strikes, there are always people who will try to profit off of it. Another thing I might mention that we haven't touched on is just like today, when you have disasters like this, you have the other element who are going to take advantage of it. It's just like scammers we have for different things, you know. So there were people there that were actually trying to, and probably did succeed in stealing things from the dead. One woman was thought to be dead and somebody was trying to pull her the necklace from her but i guess this was enough to to uh bring her to and so there we we get uh, accounts like this uh of uh you know that there were people uh there to take take advantage of this disaster this terrible terrible disaster what's strange about terrible disasters like this is that there are always people who just had a feeling or coincidentally chose to not board the boat or plane, managing to avoid tragedy. The, the one case, and a woman told me this, uh, she heard my talk and I, she left before I could, I could uh, approach her for further information. But what happened was uh, a, a rather well-to-do middle-class uh, cu- couple who had uh, children and servant were living in, in the north part of London and they were off to um, Detroit for the weekend. So they left the children with the servant girl and gave her money to take take the children to um, um, Springbank on uh, 
um, Victoria Day. The night be, they, I should mention that the, the, gal, the servant girl was Irish, uh, Roman Catholic Irish girl. She had a dream and uh, that something terrible was going to happen at Springbank Park the next day. And she, being superstitious and so on, was bound to determine they were not going to go. So you can imagine what it was like for this poor servant girl when two or three kids were had their hearts set to go and she steadfastly refused to take them. Fast forward uh, through the use of telegrams and so on like that because you had telegraphs. The parents got word of this terrible, terrible disaster and thought the worst. They, as soon as they could, got on a train and came to London. Imagine their gratitude to this servant girl when they found out she, uh, she, by what she did, she may have saved her children. When a near 1% of the population dies in a span of a day, it only makes sense that the London community wanted some answers. Yes, they had an inquest. And I know that the owner of the vessel, or at least the, the previous previous one, I think his name was Thomas Westy. Now he wasn't uh, he wasn't there at the time. He, he was a former uh, fire chief as well. At the time, if memory serves me, he was in um, in Winnipeg. But the but I had mentioned that one of the crew members drowned, and that just happened to be Thomas Westy's son, um, who um, uh, a, a young man in his um, in his teenage years that that did drown. Blame was. Um, was tried to be placed on, on people like him. And again, I think it goes back to what you mentioned about the, the actual construction of this um, uh, vessel. These, by the way, had to be shallow, um, uh, what we call shallow draft. They couldn't, they couldn't be too deep in the water because it's, it's too shallow and you got rocks at the bottom and stuff like that, you know? So mm -hmm. these are, these are um, paddle steamers with the, uh, the paddle at the back of it because sometimes you get them with, with them at the side. The captain probably, no doubt, came under scrutiny as well as to whether or not he did all that he was required to do. And uh, this is why some of the testimony I get, such as the fact that uh, he tried to get people to, st to stay off the vessel. He asked people to leave the vessel, but they wanted to get home. Um, and um, the fact that he did not stop at the regular stops. The disaster ended up bringing major changes to London, one of which was the phasing out of the steamboat industry as people lost their trust in it. When something like the Victoria tragedy happens, it's hard to justify its continued use. It's part of the process of learning from mistakes, which is why the story continues to be told today. It's part of our past. You know, there are good things that take place and bad things that take place and so on. It helps us. It's part of the identity of London and we should know about these things. And also, um, as a, when I was teaching school, it also serves as a good example. You know, kids horsing around. That was one of the factors. They got that, they got that boat rocking. And we know many times because of people doing silly things, disasters, disastrous things can happen from them. So that it, it's, a, it's, it's a good point to, to note, not only that we re, we honor the memory of these people and remember this as part of the very fabric of London, but also that we learn from it. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Haley Cheng. 
It was written by Patrick Magermans and produced by Craig Needles. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.